From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up on this Thursday edition, the U.S. Senate finally approved a $2.2 trillion relief package. Experts argue the massive measure was needed, but not to think of it as a cure to the economic hemorrhaging caused by the coronavirus, but rather a tourniquet advises time. The bill now goes to the House, and the question is, will they approve it as is or slow the process down even more by trying to attach Speaker Pelosi's priorities that the Senate has already rejected? House Minority Whip Steve Scalise is here with an answer. Also, FRC's Travis Weber and team, who worked with our allies on the Hill throughout the entire process, will give us a look at how the measure will help your family as well as your local church. And researchers at the University of Washington School of Medicine are predicting that deaths related to the coronavirus in the U.S. could reach 80,000. Could this pandemic have been avoided had China not set on the information? Indiana Congressman Jim Banks has introduced a resolution calling out China for its intentional spread of misinformation. Also, the National Commission on Military, National, and Public Service has released the results of their two-and-a-half-year study. The 11-member commission was tasked with looking, among, at, uh, among other things, controversial issues like reinstatement of the military draft and drafting women. What are they now recommending? Tom Kilgannon, president of the Freedom Alliance and a member of the commission, joins me to answer those questions. And finally, as nearly one in three Americans are being asked to stay at home, is this a time to recalibrate and to focus on what's important? How can families do that in the midst of the anxiety and uncertainty that accompanies the coronavirus? Harold Harbour, a marriage and family counselor and our chief of staff at FRC, joins me for that conversation a little later here on Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, it is at T. Perkins. All right, as I mentioned last night, the Senate voted unanimously to push the $2.2 trillion Coronavirus Aid, Relief, and Economic Security Act, CARE, through, and now it is over to the House. What will happen in the House? When might the relief bill be on the president's desk? Joining me is House Minority Whip Steve Scalise, who represents the 1st District of my home state of Louisiana. Steve, welcome back to Washington Watch. Hi, Tony. Great to be back with you. How you doing? I'm doing well, and I appreciate the prayers. I, I've been in self-quarantine uh, for almost a week and a half now. Uh, my colleague, Mario Diaz-Ballard, had tested positive. He's actually doing better now, but, it, you know, it, it hit him like it hit a lot of folks. And uh, I was in a meeting with him in my office the day before he got sick, so they said do a two-week self-quarantine, and that ends tomorrow. But in the meantime, just been working hard on the phones uh, with a lot of my colleagues in Washington, the president on down, as well as a lot of our small businesses and local businesses and families who are struggling. And you know, and you've been praying for people, and the prayers are so important for all of these folks that are making really tough decisions in a in a unique, tough time. But we're going to get through it. Uh, we're, we've got a bill, bill that's going to help a lot of people get through this that we hopefully pass uh, tomorrow or Saturday, gets to the president and uh, – you know, and then we just try to focus on how we get people back up and running, hopefully in the next few weeks. 
Well, let's first talk about uh, your, your your thoughts on the bill that finally made its way out of the Senate. Uh, there were some some things on there that are still controversial that seem to be unrelated to the coronavirus relief effort. Um, you know, money going to the Kennedy Center, which was a favorite of Nancy Pelosi. But uh, overall, your your thoughts on the uh, on the measure. Well, if you look at it, it's a very large bill, and clearly, when you're talking about two trillion dollars plus. Uh, that's a massive amount of money, and and we've seen the massive hit that our economy took, uh, you know, from individuals being laid off, record numbers of people, over three million people unemployed, uh, to what it's done to the stock market. You know, people know that this has been been devastating for lives, for safety, but also for the economy. And so this bill's focused on getting the economy held together uh, while we're in this this phase of a shutdown for so many communities. Uh, where you're not going to lose your small businesses. You're not going to lose medium or large-sized businesses. Families are going to be able to get some relief, uh, both financially, but also we put language in there, Tony, to ease some of these federal regulations so that your bank, for example, can give you loan forbearance. This is something we did after Hurricane Katrina. When people didn't have jobs, the, the city of New Orleans was shut down for over a month in some areas. And so we gave business banks were able to get families relief so that you didn't have to make your house payment for a few months. And then they tacked on maybe another three months at the end of your note uh, while, while you know we were in a tough time where you weren't getting any cash flow. You can get some breathing room. That flexibility is going to be given to banks as well. So uh, there are some bad things in there. Clearly, you know, you talked about the Kennedy Center. I will tell you there's a lot of bad stuff that we got out of that bill. The yeah. Pelosi stuff, uh, that, yeah. that disgraceful bill with a Green New Deal and mandatory uh, same-day voter registration and you know, all of that stuff that would have just, uh, you know, had nothing to do with the coronavirus. We, we said that's dead on arrival. We, we kept all of that out of the bill. Primarily what you're talking about is short-term policy, uh, things that are designed to help families, help businesses. You know, in any big bill like this, you can find some things you don't like. Uh, but by and large, every small business I've talked to said there are components of this bill that will keep them alive for these next few weeks when they otherwise would have shut down. And we already know people – I've seen thousands of people laid off just in my district in the last few days, and uh, this will stop a lot of that. It will allow a lot of those people to come back to work now. We're we're companies with the small business loan forgiveness program that's being created in this bill. A lot of your small businesses will be able to bring their workers back, get them back on their payroll, uh, so that when the economy cranks up again, uh, you're ready to go and you have workers ready to go, too. So, uh, Steve, what, what's next with the bill? You say it, the House could pass it tomorrow or Saturday. Uh, any, do you anticipate any modifications to the bill? No, not one. I think it's going to be brought on the floor as it is and pass as it is without any changes. And President Trump is ready to sign the bill. So if it can come up tomorrow, whether it passes tomorrow or Saturday, it's it's going to be done by then. And, uh, you know, and then we, we just work to – uh, work with our health experts and others to try to get to a point where we can finally bend that curve down that Dr. Fauci talks about and start getting things back up again. So what will be the process since the members are back in their districts? How will that happen on the House floor? Well, there are a lot of members that are starting to come back today. Yesterday, some members came back. A lot of them are driving, but some are flying. Uh, you know, and it, it's it kind of pushes the, the social separation to its limits. But frankly, if you're on a plane right now, I've I've had a lot of colleagues send me pictures of the flights they've been on, and you literally have almost the whole plane to yourself yeah. because there are no uh, 
there there are not many other people flying on that plane with you. So there's an ability for people to get back, whether it's flying or driving. And uh, I think you'll see a lot of members in the chamber tomorrow. Very good. Uh, I know you've got to run. I want to thank you for uh, for joining us, and uh, I'm sure this is not the end of the measures that we will be seeing. Though, to uh, once we get the the economy stabilized, I'm sure later on when we assess just how much damage is done through the coronavirus, there'll be probably another wave of stimulus to get the economy moving again. There will be, but uh, you know, where people are sticking together, people are keeping their heads through this by and large, and uh, I just. Want to want to just say God bless you and all your listeners, everybody out there who's who's helping their fellow neighbors and yeah. uh, people are helping other people and that's what we do uh, in times like this. And so thanks for your message of hope and what we need to do to stick together and get through it, Tony. All right, thanks so much, Steve Scalise, uh, the Minority Whip in the House of Representatives. He represents the first congressional district of uh, home state of Louisiana. I want to turn now to the the focus on this of of this bill and uh, actually. Phase two and phase three. We'll just talk about it like that. Phase two's already been signed. Phase three is the one Steve was just talking about. Be voted on the House tomorrow or Saturday on to the president, probably by Monday. Uh, will be enacted into law. Joining me now to break this down as to how this affects you and your family uh, is Travis Weber, Vice President of Policy here at the Family Research Council. He and his team have been working around the clock with our allies on the Hill to make sure that you were represented and, in part, making sure that the nonprofits, churches that were impacted because they can't meet were also represented in this measure. Travis, welcome back. Thank you, Tony. All right, give us the highlights uh, here. I know you're going to stick around for the next segment, but uh, let's start with the the, the, the average family. Uh, how might they be impacted by these two bills? Yeah, Tony, I think there are several highlights uh, from FRC's perspective uh, in these bills that, that we've been really trying to, to stay on top of. We're talking about a massive amount of money, a massive amount of of legislation. This latest bill is almost 900 pages and, and at a massively rapid pace. So when we think about uh, the impact on families, obviously um, there is the, uh, the direct uh, payment to, to those families and making sure that uh, they get rebate checks. Uh, those with under 75000 150000 for married couples will receive a check for $1,200 or $2,400. This obviously uh, helps folks tide, it o- tide over, um, you know, the disruption. And, and, you know, this varies. Some have been hit much harder than others. But I think what, you know, what the, the goal here is to, to make sure that uh, those who've been suffered uh, through this process, through no fault of their own, suddenly laid off, suddenly in, in hardship, have the money in their pocket as soon as possible uh, and and are able to meet the immediate needs. This obviously is going to impact families differently uh, with, with um, uh, you know, additional amounts going to families and an increase of $500 for each child. So uh, trying to be proportionate to the family structure here. In addition, you know, we've worked hard to make sure the families protected in this bill and the definition of those who receive benefits, leave benefits, and others is not expanded in a – in a watered-down fashion, which will divert attention away from the family as a as a uh, social stability point right now, especially at these times of crisis, we need uh, to rally around the family. I know many folks are sitting home right now, so the rebate checks are going to go to families, individuals, but um, be proportionately reflected based on family size. 
Um, I think in addition, uh, there, there's a number of, of benefits that a lot of folks have talked about, leave benefits and the like, that will allow families to stabilize throughout the process. And I know you mentioned churches, and there's other things we can talk about, but those are some of the key elements that we focus on. In addition to making sure that that bad pro-abortion language and a language which, which breaks down the idea of family is kept out of this bill. Yeah, that was a, a big uh, contention what well, not not so much with the Republicans in the Senate, but certainly with some in the Democratic Party wanted to remove the Hyde restrictions. That's the long-standing language that prohibits any taxpayer dollars being funded, uh, being used to fund abortion, and so that uh, the Hyde language applies to that. So that's not happening in this bill. The uh, probably one of the other big items for the family is through the business uh, allowing businesses. Um, to, to basically keep running, especially small business, with the the uh, small business loans that are, will cover payroll during this critical time to allow these uh, businesses to keep people on the payroll. That's important. Tony, no, that, that is, it is correct. Um, there's the Paycheck Protection Program, Section 1102 of, of the Phase 3 bill, the CARES Act, uh, includes $350 billion of new loans to employers, including nonprofits, with less than 500 employees, these cover payroll costs, health care, salaries, um, and and utilities and the like. So these are key to allowing us to, to tide this uh, tide tide the uh, time over here, get through the immediate economic impact, and emerge on the other side. Okay, uh, st- stay with me, Travis. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more about how this is impacting small businesses, which impact many many families, and we're also going to talk about the impact upon. Churches, this administration making sure that churches, nonprofits that have been impacted by these orders not to meet uh, are also covered. So we're going to talk about that. And then still to come on Washington Watch, Indiana Congressman Jim Banks joins us. He's introduced a resolution calling out China for its misinformation. China lied, people died. We'll also be talking about a new commission report on the draft, military draft. Is it coming back? We'll talk about it later. Is historic masculinity lost forever? Where can boys, young men, husbands, and fathers find a model of manhood, leadership, and strength in a culture of gender confusion? We need men to be men, tough with compassionate strength, bent toward justice without compromise, locking arms and standing. We need to be the men God created us to be and fight for all that is right, true, and just. This is Tony Perkins inviting you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference. To find out more, go to StandCourageous.com. This conference is led by men who are seasoned, compassionate men who understand the issues of the day and will invest in you, helping you understand your role as a defender, a provider, an instructor, a battle buddy, and a chaplain so that you can have the generational influence that God has designed you to have. Learn more at StandCourageous.com. That's StandCourageous.com. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the primary supplier of abortions in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed over 345,000 abortions in fiscal year 2018. That means, on average, Planned Parenthood aborted 1,768 babies every single day in 2018. And while Planned Parenthood's report revealed an increase in abortions committed, 
Many of the services they provide, such as breast exams and cancer screenings, have drastically decreased. FRC recently released its 2020 edition of The Real Planned Parenthood, Leading the Culture of Death. In this resource, you will find many facts revealing the truth, that Planned Parenthood is in the business of abortion, not health care. To access this resource and to find out more, go to frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. That's frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. We can all benefit. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. So good to have you along on this Thursday afternoon. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, at T. Perkins. Travis Weber, my guest, Vice President of Policy here at the Family Research Council. We're breaking down the components of uh, Phase 2 and Phase 3 of the coronavirus relief measures. Uh, phase 3 passed late last night by the Senate, as you heard moments ago from uh, the House Minority Whip, Steve Scalise, who counts the votes for Republicans in the House. This bill most likely will be voted on tomorrow or Saturday and then go on to the president. No changes are anticipated to the bill. So that's why we're kind of breaking it down for you now. This is expected to be the bill, but it's now it's 900 pages. We've been combing through it, even though we worked on components of it as it was making its way through the process. You never know what's uh, in there until the, the you, you get the final copy and you read it. Now, Travis, uh, you were talking about the impacts this has on families. First, there is the uh, direct payments based upon one's income and size of the family. Those uh, checks will be coming directly to the families. That's designed to uh, really help in this immediate short term where people have been you know, sent home, uh, put out of work, you know, pay the bills. These are this is like emergency relief. Then we've got measures that are designed to try to uh, stop the hemorrhaging in the job market because so many employers. I mean, you know, their cash flow is such just shut off immediately. They were laying people off. This encourages um, these small businesses and others to bring people back on the payroll also provides ways for the small business to meet those demands over this short, intense uh, period of about eight weeks. So what else, uh, any other components that I'm missing there? Well, Tony, I'll just note that, um, you know, in in that uh, definition of, of uh, uh, or the, the program you, des- you described to protect small businesses, the Paycheck Protection Program, uh, it, it includes for-profit businesses, but it also includes nonprofits and um, and and churches who who are classified as nonprofits under the IRS guidelines and, and IRS guidance. Um, this uh, is important because there is a number of organizations, not just for-profit businesses, who are facing the economic strain right now terms of, of payroll and other expenses, they all would be covered by this. Meanwhile, um, you know, the, the, our, we, Leader McConnell and others in the Senate have fought well to ensure that all of these provisions um, throughout the whole bill are protected and covered by high demand protections, ensuring that um, uh, our money does not go to abortions. And this largely applies to the health care uh, provision, health care parts of the bill and those provisions. But I'm making a point about, you know, they've tried to do a lot of good here and ensure that the money's not diverted into these 
unnecessary um, uh, policies that, that advocates always try to jam into these bills. So the Small Business Loan Program, a broad definition, will provide relief for many throughout America, working for a number of different organizations, and uh, we're, we're pretty pleased to see the way this has come out here. So for, for churches, for instance, you know, many churches under in states, well, I mean, the president for the last, um, well, I think we're day 10 of the 15 days, said, you know, 15 days to slow the curve, no meetings, uh, no gatherings over 10. Now, several states, that's a recommendation because the federal government really can't direct that. It has to come from the states or the local government. And so local governments, like um, my home state of Louisiana, they've uh, at first was 50, then it was down to 10. And so churches can't meet. And obviously, that's a that's a, a major impact. This would uh, this would help them would would cover a lot of those spent expenses during that period of time, but it also does some longer term things here to help uh, nonprofits with a change to the charitable contribution uh, deduction, which was changed in the 2017 tax cut bill. That's correct, and this is something we were very keen on on focusing on in this bill. Uh, because through this pro- this whole crisis, as you know, we've already seen churches and nonprofits stepping up, helping out their communities, uh, uh, taking their eyes off themselves, and focusing on how can they serve their communities. Well, this costs money; it it, it takes it drains resources. So, the country, you know, as we as we see it, needs to be incentivized to to support this effort. A lot of that occurs through churches. We know Church of the Highlands in Alabama running a drive-through testing site on their property. Other churches chipping in. So to get back to our point here about charitable contributions, uh, the 2017 Tax Cuts and Job Act, Jobs Act had simplified, raised the standard deduction to 12,000, which which um, uh, caused many filers to take this deduction instead of itemizing. Now, in the, in the CARES Act, this bill, which passed the Senate, goes to the House. We have a bump up of, of $300 above the line um, that uh, that can be deducted from charitable giving on top of that standard deduction. Uh, ideally, you know, we, we'd see more, uh, a bigger bump that would incentivize more giving, but this is good. And um, we believe that this, uh, you know, one of the reasons this is positive, too, is it has some more longer-term implications. Uh, it's not just for this year, but um, will we'll carry over into uh, a further, in, into 2020, 2021 and beyond in terms of uh, how, uh, you know, this is going to play out in terms of tax law, tax code, and the implications and positive effects it's going to have for nonprofit giving. So, I do think we, this is a positive move, and we'll see how it plays out and how um, the larger giving landscape plays out. But um, this is this is important. So this would, in the 2017 Tax Cut and Jobs Act, they basically lumped all contributions or, or all tax write-offs, pretty much did away with them in exchange for the um, uh, single deduction or the single um what was it twelve hundred dollars per person? Standard the deduction. standard deduction of of twelve thousand dollars, which you know that that just incentivizes a lot of a lot of givers just are going to take that with with where they're at. So this adds this adds three hundred dollars on top of that. Uh, on top of that uh, per person, right. and so th- you know, this is it's good. It'll incentivize us in the right direction here. Yeah. So this, uh, how long before families see some relief from this? Do you think? Well, Tony, uh, if it's signed or if it's passed by the House tomorrow, signed by the president, it's just a question of implementation. I know the the administration wants to have this money out within weeks, and it'll just be a matter of how quickly we can get the wheels churning on this. 
All right. Uh, Travis Weber, Weber, great job uh, by your team uh, working through this uh, process and staying on top of uh, these massive bills, ensuring bad things were kept out and making sure families and uh, churches in particular were represented. Thanks so much. Thanks, Tony. And we know the Senate's going to come back in April 20th, and we'll look for further action you know, in the House and Senate uh, in the coming weeks and months. Okay. All right, folks, stick, stick with us. Indiana Congressman Jim Banks here next. Don't go away. To Washington Watch, I'm Tony Perkins. Glad to have you with us. Right earlier in the week, we had Secretary of State Mike Pompeo on. You might recall, I uh, I asked him. I said, "Is there any question as to the origins of the coronavirus?" No, Wuhan, China. That's exactly where it came from. Now that, despite the fact that China is saying it came from the U.S. military, um, saying they're not responsible for it saying that, uh, you know, of course, uh, Iran is joining in on that. Uh, Russia even adding their voice to that chorus. And uh, so the Secretary of State calling them out for that. But he's not the only one that is uh, calling out China. Uh, This week, Congressman Jim Banks of Indiana has introduced a bipartisan resolution calling out China. It is... um, calling them out, condemning them for their mishandling of the virus, sitting on crucial information that has led to the deaths of many people. Now, let me just uh, wait until he's supposed to be joining us. We're going to see if we get him here in a minute. But this is uh, it's a, not, not too long, pretty straightforward, about seven pages, but it kind of goes through the timeline. And we did a little bit of this with Secretary of State Pompeo earlier in the week, but they were aware of this disease or this virus back in December and set on it, failed to give information to the rest of the world, including the World Health Organization, which alerts other countries. In fact, repeatedly said there was no evidence to suggest that it was communicated by person to person, human to human, that it was simply something that people got from uh, this uh, animal market. And it's it's interesting. One of the conclusions of this report, or this uh, resolution, rather, says, whereas a study by the University of Southampton found that if China had taken action three weeks earlier, the spread of the coronavirus would have been reduced by 95% globally. Wow. No wonder they are now trying to put the blame on someone else. So it says, resolved that the House of Representatives calls on the Chinese government to publicly state that there's no evidence that COVID-19 originated anywhere else but China denounced the baseless conspiracy that the United States Army placed COVID-19 in Wuhan, revoke its expulsion of American journalists. That's the other thing they did when the, the journalists started reporting on this, reporting that people were dying, reporting that the, the, the Communist Party of China was not handling this. They kicked the journalist out. 
goes on to say, end its detainment of Uyghur Muslims and other persecuted ethnic minorities and end all forced labor programs. Now, the reason that's mentioned in there is that these minorities, uh, religious minorities, ethnic minorities, like the Uyghurs, have been in these concentration camps where you've got upwards of two million bad conditions, bad sanitary conditions, ripe for the spread of diseases such as this, and some of them have been shipped out to different parts of the country uh, in these work programs, making them vulnerable to, to disease, viruses like this as well. And then it goes on to say um, it condemns the Chinese government's censorship of doctors, journalists during the early days of the outbreak. Uh, the Chinese government's refusal to allow scientists from the centers of disease control to assist its response to COVID-19 for over a month after cooperation was offered. Over a month. Now, part of the reason the centers of disease control, I mean, two things. One, they wanted to to help. I mean, we, we, we you know, for all of the, the challenges we have, we do have some of the best health care uh, the, the healthcare delivery system, healthcare professionals. I mean, um, America has a good system, and so we can help people. And so we offered to help. And I, I actually remember when that happened, having conversations with the administration, and they refused the help. Now, also, in addition to providing help, as you help, you gain an understanding of what is happening, which can be used as early preparation, early warning. Back here in the States, I mean, we could have cut down or, or shut down uh, travel to the United States much sooner. I mean, there were, I think, if I recall correctly, about 12, no, about 5 million of Wuhan's 14 million residents left the city before the Chinese government imposed a shutdown or lockdown, meaning that spread everywhere. It goes on to say that it uh, condemns China's National Health Commission's duplicitous denial of the person-to-person transmission of COVID-19 and calls for the World Health Organization's Director General uh, to retract highly misleading statements of support for the Chinese government's response to COVID-19, especially its praise for the commitment from China's top leadership and the transparency they have demonstrated. Nowhere to be found. That resolution introduced uh, this week uh, by Congressman Jim Banks and uh, actually uh, several other members of Congress has already got a lot of support. So we may see this uh, when they return. I don't think they'll see it next week, but uh, it'll be, I'm sure, it's going to be a topic of uh, much discussion. Okay, don't go away. When we come back... A special commission for the last two and a half years, 11-member commission, has been looking at our military, in part the draft, and public service, and all kinds of things like that. They're making, they've made recommendations to Congress, in part about the draft. Will the draft be coming back? We'll talk about it next with Tom Kilgannon. Don't go away.
Where can young men, husbands, and fathers find a model of real manhood, leadership, and strength in today's culture of gender confusion? This is Tony Perkins inviting you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference led by men who are seasoned, compassionate men who understand the issues of the day and will help you understand your role as a defender, provider, instructor, battle buddy, and chaplain so that you can have the generational influence God has designed you to have. Learn more at StandCourageous.com. Recently, a bill called the Fairness for All Act was introduced to the House of Representatives. In response, FRC has a new resource, the Unfairness of the Fairness for All Act. This act attempts to find a compromise between the First Amendment's protection of religious freedom and the demands of the LGBT community. But, unfortunately, it is a poorly drafted bill that would negatively impact religious freedom, true equality, and the privacy and safety of women. Learn more at frc.org slash fairness for all. Did you know that Planned Parenthood is the primary supplier of abortions in the U.S.? According to Planned Parenthood's most recent annual report, it committed over 345,000 abortions in fiscal year 2018. That means, on average, Planned Parenthood aborted 1,768 babies every single day in 2018. And while Planned Parenthood's report revealed an increase in abortions committed, many of the services they provide, such as breast exams and cancer screenings, have drastically decreased. FRC recently released its 2020 edition of The Real Planned Parenthood, Leading the Culture of Death. In this resource, you will find many facts revealing the truth, that Planned Parenthood is in the business of abortion, not health care. To access this resource and to find out more, go to frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. That's frc.org slash Planned Parenthood Facts. I'm Tony Perkins, and you're listening to Washington Watch, the website, TonyPerkins.com. If you're on Twitter, at T. Perkins. All right, the National Commission on Military, National, and Public Service has just released the results of their, I think, two-and-a-half-year study. The 11-member commission was looking into a number of issues as it pertained to military service, national and public service, in particular some controversial issues like the draft and drafting women. They're making recommendations. What are they recommending? Well, joining me now to uh, to talk about this is a member of the commission, Tom Kilcannon. Tom, welcome to Washington Watch. Hey, Tony, great to be on the program. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. I'm I'm social distancing, so I'm doing fine. Um, let's let's jump right into this, uh, Tom. These are some controversial issues. This uh, this started back during the Obama administration, where they were pushing for women frontline combat, which opened up to the discussion for uh, women being drafted. What does the report have to say about that? Well, that's right, Tony. Uh, you know, once uh, the uh, combat physicians were open to women in the military, then the question naturally arose, uh, should women uh, be required to register with the selective service system for the purpose of a draft, just as young men are? Young men ages 18 to 25 are required by law to uh, register with the selective service system. And so uh, the Congress in the National Defense Authorization Act of 2017 uh, asked this commission, created this commission, and asked us to study the selective service system. Do we need it? Should it be changed? 
and uh, specifically to look at the question of whether or not women should register. There are 11 commissioners. We debated it. We discussed it. We met with a lot of experts. And uh, the commission issued our report yesterday, which said that, yes, uh, women should be required to register with Selective Service for the purposes of a draft. W- was that a unanimous decision by the 11 members? Uh, I will tell you that... Uh, we created some business rules early on, and we said that for any recommendation uh, to be adopted, it would require eight of 11 commissioners to be in favor of it. Uh, so it uh, it received a, a majority of the commissioners. I will tell you, Tony, look, I, it is something that uh, I did not support. Um, that that particular recommendation uh, was something that I, uh, I, I was passionate about. I, I felt otherwise. But uh, I was outvoted, and so uh, that's the recommendation that goes forward. I have some concerns about it, and our report, uh, I'll give this to the uh, the other commissioners, our report lays out aside four women uh, registering with Selective Service, and it gives a perspective of why we should keep the current system. And that is laid out in the report in, in full detail. And so now it will be up to Congress to act upon this. This is only recommendations coming back from this 11-member commission. Is that correct? That's exactly right. It is uh, these recommendations. There are 164 recommendations, and they are now in the hands of the Congress and the president, and they will have to act on it. So uh, will women have to register? It's a, it's a question for Congress. They're going to have to take our recommendations. Uh, there are some court cases working their way through the federal courts. They're going to have to take that information and, and come up with uh, a determination of whether or not that goes forward. And secondly, on that point, uh, if they do decide to uh, take this recommendation from the commission, a big decision that they will have is how will it be implemented, because there are a number of factors uh, that go into that. The another component of that is the draft itself. I mean, the reason for selective service, and it was interesting in reading parts of the report that I had access to, that the uh, the findings were that a lot of people didn't even realize they needed to register for the selective service. That's right. There is a there's a. A big component of young Americans who don't realize that they have to uh, register and that don't realize that they have registered. And the reason for that is because many of the ways that the ways that young people register, by and large, are through when they get their driver's license or when they get student loans. And those are in fine print uh, on those applications, as you well know. You know, an 18-year-old male who's getting his driver's license, he's just going to say, hey, Tell me where to sign. I don't care what the fine print says. And I'll tell you, one of the things that I fought strongly for in this is so that is that the selective service system will increase uh, what we refer to as the solemnity of the process to ensure that young Americans who are registering and potentially could be called uh, to military service and put their life on the line, they ought to know what they're registering for. And we're asking, that is one of the recommendations that we're asking for, is that there be increased awareness, increased knowledge, especially if now millions of young 18 to 25-year-old females are going to be required to do this for the first time. Well, uh, Tom, the... um issue there. We have not had a draft since 1973, I believe. And this we've had the selective service so that if if 
there was a need to have a draft. People would be registered, and, and there could be a draft implemented. There, uh, there are some that were on the commission that believe that the all-volunteer force it doesn't work. Uh, in fact, uh, one of the members was quoted last year saying the all-volunteer force is unfair, inefficient, and unsustainable. Uh, was was the did the commission take a position on the draft as a whole? Uh, not so much on the draft as a whole. Really, it was focused on the registration process. But I would say this: the, the report and the recommendations that are in the report really uh, speak in favor of the all-volunteer force. We believe that that's the right footing for America's military. It has worked, and it has worked well for many, many years. Um, but uh, we want it to be backed up by a, a selective service system. And, Tony, I'll tell you this. I was a little bit surprised that uh, when we first started these conversations about the number of people who wanted to do away with selective service system. So that was a, that was a fight in and of itself just to keep the, the selective service and then figure out who has to register and who doesn't. Mm. Well, Tom, I agree with you. I think our all-volunteer force has been working quite fine and uh, amazed and impressed with the young men and women who are serving in our nation's military and uh, and grateful for their uh, service. And, Tom, thank you for coming on today, and thank you for your service on the commission. I know how much time that commission work uh, takes up, so thanks so much for being here today. Well, you do, Tony. As a a Marine and somebody who held elective office, you know this very well. Service is important. We see the importance of it today with this pandemic. And uh, and I thank you for the opportunity to tell a little bit about it. All right. Uh, Well, we'll dive more into it and may talk with you again. Tom Kilgannon, thanks so much for being with us. Well, service is important. Um, serving in our nation's military, serving in our nation's communities, and uh, you know, quite frankly, service begins in the home. And with now one uh, out of uh, probably every three Americans at home, and uh, I wouldn't say lockdown, but uh, being st- it's strongly suggested they stay at home, a lot of families, this is an opportunity to, to recalibrate. You've got time at home. Um, I know there's anxiety with that because you're not certain what's going to happen with jobs, um, school. I mean, all of these things just all at once. No planning for it, and it's on you all of a sudden. What do you do with it? Well, joining me now to talk about this is our chief of staff here at the uh, Family Research Council. He is also a uh, marriage and family counselor. And uh, Harold Harper has been working with families and working in counseling for quite some time. I think that's why he is uh, at the Family Research Council. We're in need of counseling. Uh, Harold, welcome back to Washington Watch. Uh, Good to be back with you, Tony. So, Harold, uh, you know, family's struggling right now with uh, none of this stuff was planned. All of a sudden, kids are out of school. Uh, Some people are in self-isolation Locked down, told not to travel, stay stay at home, off work. Not certain where the, you know, whether the job's going to be there, and so there's a lot of anxiety right now. Well, what are the first steps that we should take? Well, I, th- I think the uh, the first steps are to remember that uh, your kids are watching you, that that your family is watching you, whether you have kids in the house or not. Um, you know, I've got two that are out of the house and one that's still in the house. But I think that's probably one of the most important things. This is going to be a, a marker in time. Uh, we're going to refer mm-hmm. to this season and look back on it. 
And, you know, we talk about spiritual markers in the Scripture, stones of remembrance, and there's so much, uh, if, you, if you've been a follower of Christ for a while, there's so many different passages that talk about marking time and remembering, putting a, a, a memory down. Well, this event, we're going to look back, and people are going to ask you, what, tell me about where you were, when, and all of that. So I think um, this is going to be a, a marker on our family, and they're going to be watching Mom and Dad and see how um, how they they handled it. And so I think for, for me uh, and for our family, it's a critical time because I've got an 11-year-old that's watching me through it. He's certainly aware of what's going on, but he's taking his cues from Mom and Dad. And so uh, when we're calm, he's calm, and when we yeah. we seem to have peace, uh, he has peace, but aren't uh, everyone and, and everyone I know, even yourself included, you know, um, our lives have been turned upside down and things have, uh, we're, we're out of our routine. And so God has, uh, God is doing something in this time. And I think he's doing something in families as well. The question is, are we going to be in tune to, uh, to that and follow his leading on how to lead our families through it? I, I can't underscore enough what you said about these these spiritual markers, these markers in the family. Because I remember as a kid, some of the things that occurred. My father lost a job, was out of work, and and it was during the uh, the energy crisis in the in the early seventies, and and it, things were difficult. Inflation, you know, was skyrocketing, and, and, and literally, you know, you didn't know where food was coming from. I mean, it was it was really a, a challenging time. But my dad had a had a plan. Worked, made, did side jobs, worked whatever he could, and, and and we made it through that. And it was actually a fun time because we all pulled together as a family in a way. Mm-hmm. And and our families kind of repeated that as we've gone through hurricanes and floods. And 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 you know, I drew from my right. uh, childhood, and now I'm actually seeing my adult children react in this uh, situation with the coronavirus. From what they saw as children growing up, and and they, they, you don't know it at the time because they're not they're not necessarily verbalizing what they're seeing in you. They're just they're they're taking notes. You just said they're taking cues from you. And if you're right. calm, they're calm. If you're anxious, they're anxious. But their anxiety doesn't stop there. It could carry over into adulthood. That when these events occur, right. they think that's the normal reaction. Absolutely. That's one of the things that uh, we do in counseling is that you kind of go back and look at a little family history, see where some of these patterns, uh, typically you don't come see a a counselor unless you're having some struggles. And we go back and figure out uh, where did you learn this pattern because it's contrary to Scripture. We're not operating the way that God intended us to operate or created us to operate in our lives. So we go back and look and see. And as I hear a story, a family story, you could see where that child that 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 truth or that lie in many cases was sown into their heart and mind, and uh, we just have to go back and and sh- compare scripture with that. But just in your your illustration, I, I I can see that in your kids as you've been talking about how um, your daughter's been serving and and just talking about your plan. <laughs> One of the things you say all the time is you know in the midst of a crisis is. You know, you got to stay on your knees and, and be prayerful, but you also have to have a plan. And, I, and that's just as you were just repeating what you witnessed as a child. Your dad always had a plan, and uh, he was leading and he was working his plan. And that is so that is so so Tony Perkins because you have a plan, you're working your plan. So that is just a, a good illustration 
of uh, how that's passed on and how that had a, a huge impact on your life. For me, it was a praying mom. You know, my, my I mean, for those who've have heard me on radio before, they know that I gave my parents a, a lot of grief, but my mom modeled the prayer for me. And right now, I'm modeling that to you, and I, I think I have modeled it, but I'm certainly modeling it to my uh, 11-year-old. And, uh, you know, a lot of times in this season, there are a lot of prayer calls going on right now. There's some family mm. prayer calls yeah. and, uh, people are, so just, he was asking me, uh, last night, uh, when you did a conference call with our St. Courageous Men, uh, he, Josiah asked me, were you on another prayer call? So uh, he's, he knows that when I'm spending our evenings, you know, isolated in the bedroom, um, he's assuming that I'm on the, on the phone praying with someone. And so that's a marker I know we're laying down as well. It's so important, folks, that, you know, these challenging times, especially is your your children, whether they're small, medium size or or grown, uh, you can model for them. And and we don't need to be anxious. We need to be praying. We need to hear from God. We need to be looking outward, not inward, serving where we have opportunities and using this opportunity to reestablish those family ties. It's mm-hmm. so critical because in crisis, relationships are built that will last a lifetime. They're solidified. And so don't miss this opportunity to strengthen that foundation of the home. Harold, thanks for joining us. Always hey, great. For, I know. You, you, I, I heard you earlier say that you know people that have problems need to talk to the counselor a lot. Is that why you're in my office every day? <laughs> <laughs> you, you, I yeah. got problems, and, you need, and I need to talk with you, Harold. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. All right. Thank you. All right, folks. And seriously, take this opportunity to uh, first calm yourself, pray, don't be anxious, but look for ways to strengthen the foundations of your home and then begin reaching outward to minister to others in this time of uncertainty all right we're out of time thanks so much for joining us until next time i leave you with the encouraging words of the apostle apostle paul found in ephesians 6 where he says when you've done everything you can do when you've prayed when you've prepared and when you have taken your stand by all means keep standing Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234.